Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Overtime Heroics podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. We're the West Division podcast. I'm Alex Clark, as always, joined by Joe Boric. Joe, my good man, how you doing today? Doing well, doing well. We had a, a very good uh, closing to our World Series uh, yesterday, so doing well. How about you, buddy? You know, we're doing all right over here on the West Coast. It's a sunny day, always nice to have. But right now, again, again, as you just heard from Joe, the closing to the World Series happened yesterday. Again, all these podcasts recorded one day in advance. So this is a very nice, actually, October 28th day. But for those of you that do not know what happened with the World Series, I'll give you one second to tune away. One second's over, where the Los Angeles Dodgers are your 2020 World Series champions. And probably one of the weirdest games we have seen where it all really came down, in a lot of people's opinion, to one call. Not an umpire call, a managerial call. But there was a lot of stories to get to with this game. Joe, I'm going to give you the power in this one. Where do we start with this game? Um, I mean, I would just say that it was a very, um, energizing game because you obviously had the game that started with, uh, a Rosa Rania hitting the home run in the first, and then you had Snell striking out nine guys, uh, looking really good, only giving up a couple hits, uh, bringing in the energy, uh, for the team as well, um, so, I mean, it was definitely an energizing, uh, fun game um, to watch. And then you obviously had craziness ensue with the uh, when Nick Anderson came in, he threw a wild pitch that scored Barnsey, Austin Barnes. And then you had Corey Seager ended up reaching on a fielder's choice that scored Batsby, which ended up being a fielder's choice that went 50 feet behind uh, what's what's his name for the uh Junino um so like that like you just can't have that happen and uh obviously uh, that's some that's a particular part of the game we'll get back into uh later but that just can't happen and then you obviously have uh bets uh pretty much in the bottom of the eighth put a stamp I mean I know they only put them up by two but with the Dodgers bullpen put a kind of stamp on the game and say, yeah, we there's even more momentum going towards us as we close this out. And I like how they let uh, Urias, they kept letting him ride it there and keep going because he looked and was dominating when he came in yet again and has looked good this entire postseason. So uh, good for him. Uh, I would say for the most part, um, without spoiling the other stuff we're going to talk about later, that pretty much covers the game. Yeah, exactly. This was a weird one where the where the Rays, in my opinion, looked like they were the dominant team for about five and a third innings. Uh, four and a third innings, excuse me. And it, it all really just came down to one moment, and one moment in history that... Um, I'm bringing this up now. Uh, one moment in history that really I think is going to be remembered. That I think is going to be well remembered as probably the little seal on this game. Where you said that the stamp on this game, this is the little wax seal on the envelope. 
where, again, Blake Snell was really the story, I think, through four innings of play. He had struck out nine. His pitch count was surprisingly low for striking out nine guys. But I got to be honest, he looked he looked unstoppable. Watching him pitch, he looked like he was just playing LB of the show on rookie mode. Snellzilla. Snellzilla was incredible. Again, represents, represents Seattle, represents Shoreline. But it was... It was honestly very magical just kind of watching him play because we see this team, the Dodgers, that is one win away from taking it all, from taking home their first World Series in over 30 years. And you just see Snell basically just just going right through the lineup. He was going through everybody, leaving no prisoners, just dominating these Dodger hitters. And it was a, it was incredible to watch. Through four innings, he had given up one hit. One hit. And it was a little, it was a little single. It wasn't anything big. And so Snell looked like he was on a war path in this game. It was so much fun to watch. He had the fastball locked in, the curveball locked in. They showed a graphic on the game as well where they came out of the exact same arm angle, but the the fastball would finish high above the zone and the curveball would finish low out of the zone. How do you touch that? How do you beat it? Especially when it's on when it's on point like that. And when he is on point like that. And that's something that I yeah. kind of look at for this game and thought, okay, if Snell keeps going, I think we're going to a game seven. Because the other thing is that the Rays had the lead for basically the word go. Again, as you said just a moment ago, Randy Rosarina hit the home run in the first inning. So there was only one out of this game in which, up until this point, that the Rays did not have the lead. They had a lead one nothing, And then, top half of the fifth inning. It was top half of the fifth. Craig, not top half of the sixth, top half of the fifth? Six. Oh, it was six. He, okay, so it was, so it was like five and a third. Yeah, because Snell won five and a third. Yep, that's why I thought. I just wanted to make sure. Thank you for reminding. Thank you for reminding on it. Um, the, the that's when the problems happen. The top half of the sixth inning, first out, nothing doing, not too big of a deal. But then Austin Barnes comes up. And Barnes hits a single, just not even a big single, just a little base hit. And at that moment, Kevin Cash walks out of the dugout. Walks out of the dugout. He's got his hands in his pockets. He's looking up, ready to go. Goes out to Snell and says, all right, your job's done, bud. And Snell just looks confused. <laughs> he just looks angry. He's like, wait, what? I've given up two hits. We're in the sixth inning of the World Series. He goes, yeah, but we're doing the analytics. We're do we've talked about this. He goes, yeah, we've talked about this. I have struck out nine guys. And Snell, this out, watching this on the on the mound unfold, I was dumbfounded just watching this. I'm like, wait a minute, what? They're 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 taking out Blake Snell. They're they're taking out Blake Snell for a guy. Which again, no disrespect to Anderson, no disrespect to him, but for Nick Anderson that. 
by the end of the World Series, had an ERA of nine. Yeah, well, he also did not have a lot of balls. If I did that math right, he only had 25 balls out of 73 pitches. So it's not like he was missing the strike zone a crap ton either. So, I mean, that, that could have been... That couldn't yeah, have been the reason. Yeah, it couldn't have been, yeah, oh, you're striking out guys with a ridiculous pitch count because that wasn't the case. Sure. Exactly, because normally that's the big problem with Snell is that, yes, he strikes out a lot of guys, but he throws a lot of pitches doing it. This was the rare time where he was striking out everybody and was not throwing a ton of pitches. He was at about two strikes for every one ball thrown, which that's an incredible ratio. That's an incredible ratio. And you pull him for Nick Anderson. And I'm not, I can't repeat the words that uh, Snell said as he was leaving the mound because then this podcast would get a very different rating to it. But he turned around and said a few expletives towards his own coach as he walked off. And then they brought in, as you know, brought in Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson, with one out, run, 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 gives up another base hit. Which I will admit, that was a very lucky base hit. It was right down the left field line over... It was, uh, it was a hit by Mookie Betts down the left field line, and it got stuck on one of the grates where it was supposed to roll down into the deeper outfield, but it got stuck there. And so the shortstop had to go and retrieve it. So runners on it, second and third. And then Corey Seager... Yeah, we, we know the story at that point. Where pass ball... Run, runner, runner gets a Corey Seager scores the, the next guy on a uh, fielder's choice. Dodgers now have the lead two to one, and all energy just left the race. Like at that point, you could just see the energy and the electricity just leave that side of the field, where everything yeah. just felt like we had we had this going, we had this right, we had this going, and now it's. Just, just gone. Even Randy Arozarena, who over in left field, who was is basically kind of the hero of the Rays right now. I mean, how can you not be with a batting average of three seventy seven throughout the throughout the uh, World Series? But I still can't tell you what was going through Kevin Cash's mind. I really can't, because later on in the game as well. Because you could have made the argument in the sixth. Say, okay, you know what? It's still just a one-run ball game. Just on the other side. But that one run felt like 100 runs. It just felt like there is nothing. They needed some sort of spark. They needed something. But it was like trying to start a fire underwater. It did, it, it, there was nothing going for the race at that point. And then the Dodgers made a little add-on in the eighth. Yeah, you also made it worse because, like you mentioned, why would you go to the guy that's been struggling the most recently, too, when you have one of the best bullpens in baseball? If you're going to take, like, you shouldn't have took him out in the first place of 73 pitches, but if you're going to do so, how about put in someone that hasn't been struggling recently? Like, that, that, that also just, that's the reason, and I like Kevin Cash a lot, honestly, overall. This is, like, one of the only times I've really looked at something that I went, what in the heck is he doing? Like, completely disagreed with four. Because, like, him I expect while watching the team, like I said on the other podcast, they're one of the teams that I had a very pleasure watching a lot of on MLB TV. They're a team that I hooked on to a lot with their energy and great play. Uh, like, you get used to him pulling guys third times through the orders. But 
usually when a guy's cruising, who even let them go longer? That's why I was like, what is going on? And then if you're going to take him out, why would you put in Nick Anderson, especially in the situation of, of the batters you knew that were coming up to go against Nick Anderson? Like, why make Nick Anderson... I mean, Austin Barnes didn't really matter, but if he didn't get an out, you knew he would have to eventually face a guy like Seager. Like, why not just bring in somebody that you knew has been more consistent recently in your bullpen and and go from there? Like, like I don't know why Nick Anderson was the choice either. That's the other side of that equation. You shouldn't have removed Snell, but what would make you put in him? Who's so taking a look, yeah, taking a look at BaseballReference.com right now. So according to it, I should say they have a stat called Championship Win Probability Added by Pitcher. And they have a bunch of pitchers here that do pretty darn well. They have done pretty darn well. Of course, number one is Blake Snell, with uh, win probability added by pitcher being at 20.4%. But you had a bunch of other guys that have a pretty solid added to that. You have Diego Castillo. You have John Curtis. You've got Aaron Loop, who then came in afterwards and basically helped solidify the game a little bit more. After that, uh, you have Ryan Sheriff as well. Ryan Thompson. You've got all these guys. Why do you go to Nick Anderson, whose champion win probability addition is negative 22.6%? And because the reason why you use that stat, it's a very weird stat, I will, I'll say. But the only logic that anyone has been able to tell me that this is a good idea to do is that he's playing the metrics. So Kevin Cash was playing the analytics. And the problem is, and this is one of the things, that I do like the idea of playing to the analytics. But there has to be a mix of playing to the analytics and just seeing that one of these guys is dominating. Blake Snell in this game was incredible. Through five and a third, he was dominant. Had he gotten two more outs, like I... I am 100% confident he would have. He would have gotten a quality start in the World Series. And against a team like the Dodgers, that's incredible. And then at that point, then sure, let Nick Anderson go. If you really don't trust Snell to go any more farther, which again, I have no idea why you would not trust Snell in this point. But then if you really don't want him to go past six innings and let your bullpen do their job, then let them do their job afterwards. Let them do it in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. That's why you have Anderson, Curtis, Castillo, Luke. It's why you have all of these guys. Or a guy like Thompson, too, who's been really good the whole playoffs, which if you're going to take out a Snell, usually the best way, too, if you're thinking in analytics, too, a lot of guys try to throw off the hitters where an Anderson, obviously he's not. He has more of a sinking pitch, gets a lot more ground balls when he's money and going good like he was during the regular season in the beginning of the playoffs, more so than the latter playoffs where he's been struggling. Uh, but he still has fast pitches like Snell. If you brought in a guy like Thompson there that can give you a couple innings at a time, he comes from the side. He has those slow, like, breaking fastballs, pitches uh, coming from the side that sink more or cut inside to you, cut outside to you as a lefty. Like, that's a throw-off coming from a guy like Snell that has an 88-mile-per-hour breaking ball that's filthy and a very good located fastball to a side armor that locates his pitches but throws from a side angle that's deceptive and has good movement on his stuff. Um, like, 
it just didn't make sense the guy they went to when you shouldn't have taken him out in the first place, Blake Snell. And then you went to a guy that just doesn't play well, in my opinion, right after using Snell. So I just think it was a double goof there. But Kevin Cash will learn from it. He's the younger of the two managers, obviously, in terms of not just age, but in terms of tenure in the league. Like, he's the guy that still hasn't been to those three championships in the four years where, again, congratulations to Dave Roberts and the Dodgers. He got over the hump. I didn't want him to get fired. I'm glad that he's going to get to keep his job. And I do think because of these uh, three-year windows, like I said before the pod, the Rays have control of a lot of people until after 2023, whether it's with arbitration or because they're signed or with options for 23. So they have about a three-year window to continue to get back. And I think cash and I think their scouting department, their department to be able to trade for guys that fit in well, like Phillips, who got a clutch hit in the series. Uh, guys like that, guys like Chaz Rowe, who they got, who ended up being one of their better relievers uh, when healthy. So, I mean, uh, guys like Morgot who fit in really well. So I think they'll be good for about a three- to four-year period with the way that their arbitration and contracts work out. But we'll see what happens. I think they'll be good, though, for a couple more years. So I don't think they're done yet. Uh, I don't think they're I don't think they're ever going to be to the degree of the Dodgers, obviously, because they don't have the money. The Dodgers, like I said before, <clears throat> the pot are literally the Yankees West now, pretty much, where – because of their ownership group, where you know if they're bad, it'll be for like one year maybe because all crap hit the fan or something. Or like when people age out, like how the Yankees were kind of subpar for one year and then they were back to being the Yankees again. So, So, yeah, that's what I want to make sure I clarify here. We are not taking anything away from the Dodgers. The Dodgers played a fantastic season. They were the best team throughout the entire way. This is, of course, the West podcast. Um, They were the best team when they won, and they won a hard-earned World Series, and a congratulations to them. The reason why we're talking about this right now is because this is kind of the big story right now. This is what people are talking about, and well-deservedly so. But again, I also like Kevin Cash. I think that he has done a fantastic job. And for a team where, again, the entirety of the 28-man roster makes less than two players on the Dodgers in Kershaw and Mookie Betts, I think he did a fantastic job. Again, and you're right, he's only 42 years old. He is a young manager, and you know what? If he's already taken a team to the World Series, then I think that his career is going to be long and fruitful. But this is a decision that will forever haunt him, I think, and deservedly so. This is, and this is also another decision that really hurts the legitimacy of people saying that we need to be going more towards the analytics. Because I think we can both agree on this one that by, quote-unquote, going with the analytics, it just lost the Rays the World Series. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to have a balance because I think analytics are not... Like, there's some analytic stats that I think are a little bit too far-fetched, but I like them overall, and I use them when I try to figure out guys' strengths and weaknesses for different articles or podcasts before I talk about said players sometime early on in the afternoon when preparing for stuff in baseball and hockey. But I think you have to use it as a balance. Like you can't, you're not going to be like if someone's dominating, Oh, he's at a uh, 72 pitches, like third time through the order, but has 
13 strikeouts. Uh, yeah, let's uh, take him out, even though he struck out every batter but one, and that one guy happened to hit a home run. It's like, no, no, let's not do that, actually. It's like, <laughs> so, like, you have to be able to kind of balance the, like, optics of it and do a do a kind of combination of, of both, which I think is something which is why people were very impressed with Madden and everybody really fell in love in the earlier 2000s and obviously still like Joe Madden, but I'm just saying when Mikey came onto the scene with the Rays in the earlier um, 2000s because he kind of balanced both and had that mix of letting guys uh, pitch only a few times through and having a great bullpen a lot of the time, but also going with a guy if he was riding it. Like, he wasn't going to take David Price out at 73 pitches if he was cruising. So, like, that's that's kind of what you have to do. And I think with age and with tenure as a manager, Kevin Cash is going to learn that. And I think this is probably going to make him honestly learn it faster because what's a bigger slap-in-the-face shockwave to getting your career ignited to going, okay, I just got to get better at this crap and this complete thing that I need to fix to getting better and locking in on to, to uh, figure out during the game. Uh, what's going to make that just get honed into you better than getting knocked up in the World Series after making a decision? Like, exactly. Like, no, nothing, there's nothing that's going to hone that into your head anymore. So. Yeah, and that's something that I, I, I want to agree with you on one thing, that's, um, that analytics are still a very good thing. Uh, even after this decision, I still think more teams would be going more analytically. But there has to be a balance. There has to be a level to where um, every little bit that you, you do, there needs to be the balance of looking at what players have done well in certain situations, looking at what at some of these other stats, but you've got to also be able to see that if a player is in at the moment and they are truly on fire, like they have, they're on a pace, you've got to kind of ignore some of the analytics and go with the hot hand. You've got to go with who is producing. Cause at the end of the day, with throughout all of the analytics and throughout all of the stats and all that, there is only one stat that truly matters. And that's not any one individual player stat. That stat is wins. Who won the game? And in this moment, you ignored that stat to go for the analytics, and it cost the Rays the World Series. I think that uh, Cash is going to be a very good manager, and he still is right now a very good manager. But there's something else I kind of want to bring up along this line here. And... I did not know if I was going to talk about this during the podcast, but I think it's a very apt thing to at least talk about, considering with how big this really is. Because we know that the Dodgers, as good as they as good as they are, they're probably going to make it back to a World Series pretty soon. Just that's just how good the team is, and they're not having any major pieces really leaving in the near future. Now, any, any of the main key pieces, shall we say? And the Rays have a window of about three years before everyone starts to leave. There aren't a lot of times where a coaching decision in sports does not just affect the one moment there, sorry, the moment in the present, but can leave a stigma on him and on a team for years to come. There is one moment that still just makes me hurt thinking about it. And I'm sorry, I'm going to cross sports here a little bit. 
but the Seattle Seahawks throwing the interception at Super Bowl 49 on the one-yard line, where that one play, that one decision from Carroll, from Bevel, all that fun stuff, that one decision basically not only took the Seahawks out of that Super Bowl, giving it to the but also left a bit of a mark where the team just could not quite get it back. There was a there was a layer of doubt on Pete Carroll. There was a layer of doubt on the whole front office. And this the entire locker room started to really turn on itself. And it all stemmed from that one decision. And the team, yes, while they did make the playoffs a little bit every now and then, as I mentioned pretty consistently, it just never felt like the same team. The team did not have the same kind of attraction as it had beforehand. And it really did stem from that decision to the point where players still talk about it. And now we're looking like, what, five years after the fact? Yeah, the Seahawks have still been a pretty good team. They're still a great team right now. They're five and one. But that's what I want to talk about here is that, and I don't want to spend too long on this, but I think it deserves to at least have a small conversation about it. Kevin Cash making this decision, I think everyone at this point now can agree that it was the wrong decision. I don't think there is an argument anymore that it was the right call. When you now look at what had said, which just obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but when you take a look at what is go- what is going on and with the result that had happened, do you think, and especially with how Snell reacted to the call, so I reacted to being pulled and then went back to the dugout. And then players all across, not even just from the baseball world, but from other worlds as well, immediately calling it out for what it was. Do you think that the Rays may have that stigma now on them? And do you think that Kevin Cash will be able to get past it and help to reunite the clubhouse? Because I'm not saying the clubhouse is broken, but I do think that it's a possibility that it could be. And that's it's Kevin Cash as a pretty young manager. Is that something he's going to be able to do? Yeah, I think they'll be fine because there's also a reverse where a lot of times you also will see teams um, get annoyed at a previous year and get pissed off. Like, for example, uh, sorry for crossing uh, sports again, ladies and gentlemen, but the uh, <laughs> but the Tampa Bay Lightning got smoked by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019. And then this year, they're like, yeah, about that. Uh, we're just going <laughs> to run the table and win the Stanley Cup. Um, so I think there's you're able to come back from, and I wanted to use that example because that's the crosstown team uh, in Tampa still. Um, you're able to come back from uh, things, and I think sometimes it actually pisses you off. And it actually can fuel you a little bit because you're like, okay, this is not happening again. And I think it's going to annoy and kind of tick off cash too, to be like, like I said earlier and hinted at a bit, he's going to go. This is exactly the stuff I need to hone in on and learn and get better at where I think from watching tape in the off season, he'll probably learn with guys like glass now and Snell, if they're just cruising and Morton, obviously, uh, you got to keep those guys in the game. You're not removing guys like that, where for some reason 
the only guy is Morden that it seems like he's ever really been comfortable doing that with. And when you have guys like Snow and Glass now, that's never made the fullest sense to me. But that's the only blimp, I think, in Kevin Cash's managing. So that's why I think he's going to hone in on that and fix it. And I think in these next three years, I'm not going to say the Rays are going to win, but I do think in these next three or four years, we will see the Rays back in the World Series. So, um, I, and I think that's because Cash will learn from it, and the Rays are going to use this to continue to fuel them and get better. And I think that's a thing that's going to continue to grow and happen for this team. Because like I said to you prior to the podcast, and Ray, a lot of Rays fans will know this. You got a lot of injuries to your pitching staff. Certain guys that weren't even available this year might be names we're talking about next year that step up big time. Like we always tend to talk about about eight guys every year, it seems, for the the Tampa Bay Rays, where it's like, oh, look, such and such stepped up, blah, blah, blah. And then you go down and listen, you're like, holy crap, that's eight people. Well, you didn't expect to talk about those names before the season. Um, like that's just what this team's made of. Like, one would be Trevor Richards, obviously, who came from the Marlins, uh, was injured all season. Uh, he could come back. And that, so, like, there's a lot of guys. Uh, they're just a team that I think they'll be fine for at least the next couple of years. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But uh, I think they'll be okay. I think their window is fine for now. And I think Kevin Cash will be okay, like, you asked, and he'll get over it, because I think sometimes stuff like this, and I know for me, um, like when I lost a championship, even growing up in sports, the next year was more of a motivation thing. It wasn't like, ah, darn, we lost a championship, my life's ruined. Like, it was more of a, oh, no, you ain't beating us next year. Like, like that's more the mentality you have to take, and I think the Rays will take. And also, the AOEs, the Yankees are good, but the AOE as a whole was not getting better <laughs> yet. Yeah, like, yeah, the so AOE is just a really interesting. Division. Yeah, that's why the the Red Sox are retooling and refiguring out things because unfortunately Eduardo got COVID and then got the heart issue, and then you got Sale coming off of the injury. So, and then you got Baltimore. So, I mean, they're they're going to be fine for a little bit here. They're going to be competing right there with the Yankees. It's going to be great battles for at least a couple of years here. So um, they'll be back, and I think it's going to be used more as a energizing drive than anything else. Yeah, and because I don't know if I fully agree with you, I think that this could be something that um, that can really hurt the team. I do. I do. I think it's going to happen. No, I just think that it's a possibility, and I want to. Like, I just want to see what this team... This team has so much talent on it. And the Rays, we were talking about this just before the podcast as well, that there are some very good players on this team that were locked up early and are really starting, starting to bloom. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorites on there is G-Man Choi, which, again, for anyone who has ever played first base, again, I was a first baseman growing up, watching him play the position... It's like watching someone cut soft butter. It is smooth. It is satisfying watching him play. And as you bring that up, though, what's so impressive about that is the Rays made him into that. That's not what he was when he was on his, uh, I think he was on the Angels for a short time before the Rays, in my memory, uh, doesn't fail me. Um, so 
uh, he was not the fielder, and then the Rays, they're like, oh, yeah, he just had, like, a couple things he had to fix, and then he was pretty much set. And obviously we saw that, where now the dude, like you said, is as uh, smooth as anything uh, out there. So, I mean, good for him. Yeah. I think for Choi, I think that... Because with him being, again, in his early 30s, at this point right now, just watching him play is really fun. He's got a good bat on his shoulders, too. And he's not signed for very much. When you take a look at the ability that he has, it's really incredible to see. But, again, they have all these players that they have locked up. And so, yeah, their window is for about three years right now. And they need to win at least something going forward. Do they need to win the World Series? No. I do think that they need to make at least one more. But what I need to see, what I really, really, really want to see is in the 2021 season, I want them to be a true contender. I want to see how well they match up with the Yankees. I want to see how well they go. Those two really go at it. Because at that point, you're seeing this team that, again, this team beat the Yankees. This team Mm -hmm. went into the World Series. And darn near almost won. They took the team that everyone thought was the number one surefire team. I took them to six games and almost took them to seven. So right now you see this and you think to yourself, okay, the team has the talent. The manager knows what he's doing. But that one decision, that one bad decision, is it going to haunt the team? Well, because we've seen in other sports where it has. I do want to say that's one what thing. they have to avoid. I want to say one thing to that bad decision point, though. That's why I said congratulations to the Dodgers and David Roberts because I didn't want to see his uh, job ever get lost. Like The same issue that Kevin Cash has to get over is the same issue that was ailing Dave Roberts, where in the most pivotal of time, it would seem like he would make too much of a not a gut-heart decision, but more of a analytics-based decision. And that's why, like, like the Dodgers would end up losing the games in the past playoffs they've been in because he would remove somebody and Dodgers fans would be like, wait, what? Um, so this year he obviously did not do that. He managed, in my opinion. He did that a couple times in the playoffs, don't get me wrong, but in my opinion he managed much better and that's what got them over the hump where Cash being the lesser experienced guy made that mistake. So I think it's how Roberts has grown as we've seen that's what Kevin Cash is going to do now. Yeah. And I just want I just want to see cuz we've seen Kevin Cash do some really good things. Again, I've already talked about it. and again, I'm not knocking the Dodgers at all, I'm not knocking Dave Roberts at all because they really did they are they earned it. Like, this was a team that was, their expectation was World Series or bust, and they won. They did not bust. They did exactly what they needed to do. Good on you. You did it. Fantastic. Now, you think about for the Rays. You just think about what are they able to do. And I think that Cash is a very good young manager. We've seen what he's able to do where he doesn't have the money that the Dodgers do. He doesn't have the money that Dave Roberts does or that have like the Yankees have, Boston Red Sox have, all that fun stuff. He doesn't have that, and yet was able to take this very, in my opinion, a decently young team with some older pieces to it that are a little more unproven, and took them to a World Series. 
I mean, that's pretty fantastic. The one thing I just don't want to see is this one decision cripple the team. And I don't think it will. I just see, again, I grew up as I grew up as a Mariner fan. I'm also a Seahawks fan. And seeing what happened to the Seahawks after that one play call proved that it was real. And that's what I want to avoid for the Rays because they don't deserve that. They deserve to win. They have shown that they are good enough to win. They have the chops. They have the players. They've made some very, very, very smart business moves within just the last three, four years that have got them to this point. You just got to continue it, and you've got to put it all together to a win. Yeah, that's really all they got to do. They just got to get over the last hill, which is entirely what the Dodgers had to do, and congratulations again to them have accomplished. They had to get over that last hill because they've been getting there and getting there literally and then just haven't been able to get over it, and then they finally have gotten over it against another very deep, well-constructed team. So that's why this was a very good six-game battle in this World Series of great pitching wits in some games and then a good uh, hitting battle mostly towards the Dodgers side in those games. So it's been a, it's been a, it was it's been a very fun uh, World Series to round out our 2020 uh, MLB season. Exactly, and that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited to see what is going to happen for the Rays going into 2021, because now they have expectations. Now they're the team of okay, this is the team to beat in the American League. Especially now, the one other thing that's going to be interesting, we're not going to talk about this basically at all today. I just kind of wanted to put this in the note. There are some very good free agents coming into this season, and I want to see how other AL teams are going to put their teams together because, that's again, that's been the big problem, the big Achilles heel for the Rays is their budget, just like it is for the A's. So I want to see how well they're going to do because they have their core locked in. How are they going to do with them now in this year after making a World Series and not just not quite capturing the championship? So that's the point, yeah. I think they're again. I think it'll be used as motivation and more an energy uh, spark than anything else, and it'll be a good uh, thing for them. But we'll, we'll see as time goes on, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really fun to see with it. Um, so now. We take a look at this, and we take a look at the Dodgers a little bit more in this series. And again, we've been talking about the Rays the whole time. We are the West Division, talking about the Dodgers. There were some very interesting pieces. One thing I kind of want to bring up here is the pitching decisions the Rays made in that. As another Rays, the Dodgers made in Game Six. The Dodgers started started off with Tony Gonzalez, and he did not go very long. He went, uh, according to uh, the notes on everything, um, Did he only went, like, what, one inning? Uh, Gonsolin went five. He got five out. Yeah, so he went one and two-thirds. And they're almost all, I think, if, if I remember right, all five of them were strikeouts. But um, he also gave the home run to Randy Rosarina. But I think the game plan, all in all, for the Dodgers in that game, in that game, was to let the bullpen do the work for them, and then have um, Mueller go in Game Seven. It should have come to that. So we take a look at the at who they had pitching. They had Gonsolin, Florio, Wood, Baez, Gonzalez, Gratterall, and Urias. And the one decision I really want to talk about 
because it was a good decision. I think it was the right decision. But I want to talk about it a little bit is Julio Urias going a two inning save for the Dodgers. And watching him go in that game was really fun. Like watching him go in and two and a third innings, he got seven outs. And he did it flawlessly. No hits, no walks, four strikeouts. In that situation, I fully expected, and I'll say this fully, I fully expected that in the ninth inning, they were going to go to Jansen. Even though he had, he had struggled, we're I fully expected they were going to go to they were going to go to the, the closer trying to end out the World Series. And I'm glad they didn't because I think that it was the right move to stick with Urias. But if you're a manager, I got to give it up on that one to Dave Roberts, who had the cojones to keep the young Julio Urias in who had already gone over an inning at this point and say the ninth inning, you know what? You're, you're the hot hand right now. Let's see you take this. And let this young guy get the final three outs in a World Series to end a drought of 33 years. Yeah, and that ended up being the right decision. And, uh, I mean, you got help um, from two big uh, lefties, one experienced one in Alex Wood, obviously, and then uh, actually three. And then uh, Victor Gonzalez, another great youngster, and then obviously Julio Urias to uh, close out the uh, World Series. I mean, this Dodgers team, it's amazing how it's going to be going forward. they got great veteran pitching, especially if they keep Wood uh, there and Floro, who also pitched in uh, Game 6. And then you got guys like Grotterol, and then you got Dustin May, and the list goes on. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be amazing there. But I agree with you. Like I said, uh, it seems like Dave Roberts has learned – from the past experience, which is lovely to see because I didn't want him to lose his job. You never want anybody to lose their job, especially when they're in uh, in uh, the city of angels in LA is uh, Stephen A. Smith always says, uh, nobody ever wants to leave the city of angels. So, you know, uh, so good for him to be able to wrap up the world series, but uh, good on Julio Urias, man, because he's been great uh, all playoffs, especially when they tend to extend him. I mean, it's almost like, he gets stronger and even more and more motivated as his outing goes on when he comes in out of the pen and goes a couple innings. Like, it's it's a weird dynamic that's, like, only certain guys have that where uh, it's great it's to see. It's getting in the zone, yeah. It's getting yeah. in the zone. And I agree with you. Urias looks fantastic in his outing. But one thing, and again, I don't want to keep bringing this up, but I find it hilarious that the whole point of this is that Dave Roberts won the World Series, got the final outs of the World Series by keeping with the hot hand. Whereas Kevin Cash lost the World Series by going away from the hot hand. Just a little bit of coincidence there. Um, But for Julio Urias, I think that he really showed out. And I think that he's still he's still first in my opinion, first and foremost a starter. He's one that would normally be in a starting position, Correct. but because this is the World Series, anyone can be anywhere. And I see what, like, it, you're right. It shows very much that Dave Roberts really knows his guys, knows that Urias gets stronger as an outing goes on because he just lets it fly. And Urias, this one again, 
Two and a third innings, no hits, has an ERA of the World Series of 1.17. Absolutely amazing. And again, he only threw 27 pitches to get seven outs. That's really, really, really good. That's efficient as heck. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's some of the most efficient you can be. Exactly. And like, even on that last out, on that last, that last one, I don't remember who was at the plate. I apologize. But. When he got to the one and two count, I'm like, strike three, right here, calling it. High fastball, swing on a miss, strike three, game over, Dodgers win. Because that for pitchers is when they are efficient. I love watching them just pound the zone because it never lets hitters get set. Never lets them get settled in an at-bat. When you throw intentional balls, unless it's on an 0 and 2 count, or maybe even a one and two, that just gives them more time to settle into the box. I think if you attack them straight up, straight forward, you're just going to do better in general. That's why people make such a big deal of first pitch strikes. is because if you can start them off behind, then you're already winning at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, first pitch strikes are the most key thing to any pitcher. I, I love I love that. That's my favorite thing is seeing first pitch strikes. But you see what he was able to do with this. And I love watching when pitchers really get into these. They really get into these uh, plays because it's really fun to watch a guy when he's locked in. Hmm, who does that sound like? But Urias, I think, was the best decision that Roberts made that night. I, again, you also had Alex Wood who pitched fantastic, going two innings, giving up no hits. You had Victor Gonzalez going one and a third, striking out three. Even Tony Gonzalez, even though he gave up the one run, it was a it was a solo shot by the guy who's been dominating the entire postseason. Like Roberts did extremely well with his bullpen, and I think that's kind of what Kevin Cash was trying to do a little bit more. Was that you know we have a good bullpen, let's use it. Uh, Dave Roberts was the exact same way. We have a good bullpen. Let's use it. But that bullpen also included guys like Alex Wood, Victor Gonzalez, uh, Gratterall, Urias. And Urias, again, we've already talked about him just being just being what the heck he is. He did extremely well. And seeing this as well, I think that just cements him even further that he is one of the futures of this team. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think also, I mean, like Max said, he didn't have the best playoffs, but he stepped up at times out of the playoffs, I think. As a young age, uh, he stepped up at times in different rounds. Dustin May was up and down, but he stepped up big in certain moments. I think you saw that he's going to be wherever the heck they have to put him because of how deep their pitching is. A pretty good pitcher for them. They just have to let him know going in where he's going to be. Exactly. And I think that's a very, you know, very real thing to let someone have. I mean, I think that um, for him, he is going to be a pitcher that I think deserves to just be a normal starter, but he's also going to be happy pitching out of the bullpen. He's going to be happy being a long guy if they need. But Urias is going to be almost like a utility guy for Dave Roberts, but as a pitcher, which... I think that's hilarious, but um, I think that's at this point for Julio, just hang your hat on your shoulder. You got to save the World Series. That's 
there are very few bigger highs than getting that final out, and especially doing it via strikeout. Even better. Yeah, that's entirely true. I completely agree with that. All right. So now we talk about this. We talk about the Dodgers. The, the hitting as well was, in that last game, pretty lackluster altogether. You I mean, you take a look at what went on for them. Again, they had nothing until the sixth inning until they got some stuff off of Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson, again, we can all, I think we at this point now agree that he should not have come in at that point. Five hits total by either side got five hits. And so you see that and you just think, you know, that was a very low offensive game. And for the Dodgers, they got a hit early on. They got most of their hits in the sixth inning. And then in the eighth inning, I want to bring this up. Mookie Betts hits a home run for the Dodgers. Hits a home run that I don't know about you, but when we I was talking earlier. <coughs> excuse me. I was talking earlier where the Dodgers, when they got that two to one lead in the sixth inning, that one run lead felt like a one hundred run lead with the energy just leaving the Rays at that point. But that last home run in the eighth inning, I got to tell you, that really was the nail in the coffin. 100%. Because at that point, that was the Rays just needed to say, all right, we just need one run. We just need one run. We just need one run. And then the <laughs> Mookie Bat just says, lol, no. And just hits a bomb out of the outfield. And just watching him round the bases, he was so hyped up. And you know what? Good for him. He just hit one of the biggest homers in his career. And I also got to say that at that point, every Red Sox fan just probably cried a little bit more after that home run. Um, but I think that Mookie Betts did a fantastic job for the Dodgers. I think he was a really good – it was a great move to get him by Los Angeles. And I don't think there's any – no, there's absolutely no denying that Mookie's a fantastic pickup. Um, and uh, he came up huge, like you said, and that did feel like the um, cementing of the game uh, for the Dodgers there. I mean, yes, obviously you're able to come back from a deficit like that. It's not like it's the end of the world, but it just didn't feel like it was going to happen, like you said. So I think that's entirely right. That kind of just felt like the beginning of the end there for them um really stamping it there so uh i think that's uh, good on him in his first year to be able to come up huge for his team out there in his first year uh he was able to be the guy that had the cementing run to put them up to to make it even more and more pressure on the raises they had to go up against a pitcher that they knew they just were not seeing who had four strikeouts against them in that two and a third inning. So, uh, good, yeah, good on him to be able to step up big in his first season. His first season, again, he really showed well. But then we can't end this podcast without talking about one guy. The guy who is the World Series MVP, the League Series MVP, and the old and the younger brother, to one of my favorite players in Kyle Seeger, it's Corey Seeger. Seeger had a playoff run for the ages, and he just outright dominated. I don't think there's any denying that either. 
is that for Corey Seager, he really showed what he could do in this series. Over the course of the World Series for Corey Seager, I'm trying to pull up the stats on him right now. But when he, the way that he was batting, it looked like there was no stopping him. Over the course of the World Series, he was batting 400, an on-base percentage of 556, slugging 700 for an OPS of over 1,200. Again, absolutely disgusting watching what yeah. he was able to do. The only guy that hit as many hits as he did in the World Series for the Dodgers was Justin Turner. And even then, Turner also did fantastic going 320. They take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays side of things, and Randy Rosarena was the only guy to hit eight. Then Kevin Kiermaier got seven hits, etc., etc. But Corey Seager was on a massive streak during this postseason. And watching what he was able to do was nothing short of incredible. Watching what he was able to really just make happen. I think at this point, right, he's already been known as kind of the future. I think he's the future of this team at shortstop. I don't see... I, we were talking earlier that maybe he needs to be traded while his value is high on this, but I don't know. I think with Seager, he has shown that he has been to the World Series now several times with the Dodgers. Each of their big runs, he was on the team. And he was making moves. I mean, this is the big, the first year that he was really like the guy. But he was dominating. And I don't see how you get rid of him. Well, he wasn't healthy some of the past years. And the problem is the Dodgers can't just infinitely pay everybody. So that's yeah. more what the problem's going to come down to. You have Gavin Lux, who you really like as a prospect. I mean, you kind of have to sometimes come to a crossroads and make tough decisions. That's more what it is. It's not, do they want to get rid of Corey Seager? Absolutely not. You're an idiot if you'd want to get rid of Corey Seager. But you might have to for your better business decision because you have guys you're going to have to pay down the pipe when their arbitration expires. And uh, that's not going to go well if you have to pay Corey Seager when you have to also pay, um, obviously, a guy like Bellinger who's going to get paid a boatload of money. So, I mean, they, they just have more decisions to make than just looking at it from that perspective because the, some of the pitchers we mentioned, obviously, Bueller is going to get paid a lot down the line. But I think Urias, obviously, he's started pitching at such a young age and has progressed so much, he's probably looking at a pretty good contract down the line. I think it's more just worrying about money when they already have a good amount of money tied into Price, who didn't even pitch this year, who sat out, Kirsch, um, McGee, until... Uh, oh, no, they only gave him one year, so they don't have that, but they still have a lot of money in Jansen until after next year. So I think it's just more money-based than it would be anything else. And that's what I heard when I listened to a lot of it on MLB Network and different people's all other podcasts I listen to and radio shows. It's more, can the Dodgers keep paying everybody? That's more what yeah. it is. You never want to lose Corey Seager because that would be uh, bad. But like I said, his estimated arbitration produced by MLB trade rumors is 15 mil. Yeah. 
Well, uh, so I, I agree with that. It's going to be hard to, but at this point right now, I feel like you have to try and at least find a way to make a, to make something like it happen. I, I, going to another team, I just feel like is a bad move. I know that it's hard to keep everybody. It's near impossible, in fact, to keep everybody. But you see this, and you see what he really does bring, and that value is enormous to this team. And the fact of experience and the fact that he has been on these World Series teams, not always been healthy, but he has been on these teams that has been contributing. I don't know. I think that they need to try and keep him, but I understand that it's really hard to try and do so. It's going to be near impossible, in fact, to try and do so. So if Corey Seager does go to another team, then you know it best best on for that, and then the Dodgers have to figure out what they're going to do at shortstop. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so with that, right now, I think we're coming to a close. The, the World Series has come to an end. The baseball, the 2020 season that I think a lot of people thought was not going to happen due to the climate that we live in today. The season did happen, albeit a shortened season, only 60 games, universal DH, 16-team playoff. A lot of things had to happen in order to make this season happen. And, you know, I'm so glad it did. As a baseball guy, I love that we at least got to have some form of baseball. And, and as it comes to an end, I can't help but be happy. Even though, again, yeah, my marriage didn't make it in. So even into the playoffs, all that fun stuff. I'm happy just the fact that we even got baseball. The fact that there was so much talk about what it was just not going to happen. There was all the arguing about how can we make it safe and all that fun stuff. But the fact that baseball actually did get to happen, looking back, I am so grateful for it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was a fun season. It was a different season. Uh, we'll see. It seems like we're not going to actually have the DH potentially because it would have to go through union boundaries and, all, and as we say, uh, ropes and stuff. So, I mean, I go through that yellow tape, as everyone says. So, I mean, yeah. we'll see what happens there. But... I think it worked for this year. Um, I think it will become a thing sooner rather than later, whether it's next Please. year or not. But this Please. season, this season think, yeah. um, was a good season overall, though. I, I liked it, uh, even though uh, my hometown, Phillies, didn't get far and didn't make it and fell off in the end. I mean, overall, watching this playoffs was fun. You had the uh, small market team that just put their team together so well. Um, in the Rays make it all the way to face the Dodgers, who were the juggernaut, uh, can spend all their money, but also, as I said, bring up a lot of guys through the organization that fit in really well as well. So they do a very good mix. So it was just a very good season through and through of great pitching, great hitting, a lot of good young pitchers emerging this year. And um, that could have to do with, obviously, less pressure with no fans. And a lot of guys really showed up and showed out as young players in general, not just pitchers, just rookies in general, really came to play this year. 
I completely agree. There was a lot of good things to come from this year. A lot of fun baseball. A lot of good young guys really showing that the future of baseball is strong. But I want to say thank you to each and every one of you listening. Make sure you go follow Joe on Twitter at JJBorek26. You can follow me on Twitter at TheSportsGuy242. Also, make sure to follow the Chief Seats Chatter Twitter as well as the Overtime Heroics Baseball Twitters. For Joe Borg, my name is Alex Clark. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the Overtime Heroics Cheap Seats Chatter West Division Podcast, and I hope to see you all real soon. Once again, this is OTH Cheap Seats Chatter. On Twitter, we are at OTH underscore Cheap Seats. We'll be giving you baseball highlights, our takes there. Our takes will be on this podcast going four days a week, as we spoke to in the show. But uh, if you really like baseball, you enjoy what we're giving you, you should go check out our partners at Dugout Mugs. That's dugoutmugs.com. They make mugs out of the barrel of baseball bats. It's a great gift for any baseball fan, or let's be honest, for yourself if you're a baseball fan. So once again, dugoutmugs.com.